that is found in God. You've got to understand who I am. And so he begins to unpack that. And we've looked at them these last few weeks, and they've been unbelievably incredible. Just show of hands if you guys have thoroughly enjoyed this series. Yeah, it's been phenomenal for me uh, it, just in preparing it. I've always left Sunday on this kind of high, this excitement, this like, wow, I'm getting to know who Jesus is. I'm really starting to understand who he is because that has important implications for my life. But this last one is slightly different. Uh, the, this last one, when I came to it at the beginning of the week in preparation, I was kind of like, oh, this is that one sermon that I actually don't want to preach. Uh, this is, this is these, the, the passage here is I don't want to go to it. I, I don't want Jesus to unpack this to me. Because I say this every Sunday. I say this every Sunday, that I believe that as someone who teaches the Word of God, you've got to approach it. You've got to first come to it and understand it for yourself so that you might preach or teach out of devotion and not so much competence. We've got to be able to, to, to share God's word out of devotion. And so what I mean by that is when I come to study the scriptures, here's my first question. I say, God, what is it that you want to reveal to me? Before I go, what is it that you have for us? I need to know what, what is this text, what does this, this scripture say to me? And, and this one in particular has exposed some things. It's uh, God was shining some light in some dark areas of my life. And so uh, this morning is going to be slightly different. It, it may come across as uh, more counseling than actual preaching. And, and here's the thing, guys. It, it may offend some of you in the room. In the same way that I felt offended when I was studying it, I was like, surely not, Jesus. Surely not. But, but as I dug deeper, I realized, wow, my heart truly is in the wrong place. My heart's in the wrong place. And so I believe that God might do that here this morning with some of you. But don't check out. Be encouraged. I'm asking you to continue to go deeper because at the end of it, God really, really wants to take you to a place of complete joy. That's what he wants to do. And so the road may be bumpy, but the destination is amazing. And so uh, if you have your Bible with you or electronic device that has it, you can meet me in John chapter 15 as we wrap up the I Am series. This is the final I Am statement that Jesus makes. Uh, We're only going to look at 11 verses. So John chapter 15, verse 1 to 11. And so what I'm going to do, like I always do, is I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. And so hear these words of our Father, John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that uh, as we come to it, uh, that you would uh, use it to open up our hearts and to reveal to us those places where we need your light to shine so brightly. Father, I ask for every single person here in this room um, that they would come uh, open to you. I ask that hearts would be open. I ask that minds would be open. Uh, That, Lord, we are in desperate need of you. And so would would you reveal to us your true nature and what this text means for our lives. We love you. We praise you. And would you show us that we desperately, desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like I said, we're just going to jump straight into the text and begin to walk through it. Prepare our hearts. Jesus starts right away with the I am statement. We've seen previously he'll say some stuff and then land on the I am statement. But here he, he jumps right in. He says, I am the true vine. Now, now let me unpack a little bit for us. For us to understand what he means when he says that he's the vine, we have to go to the Old Testament and search and see. And Does God talk about the vine in the Old Testament? Is Jesus saying something about himself, a fulfillment of the Old Testament? See, in the Old Testament, uh, the the nation of Israel was known as the vine. They were known as the vine, and and here's why. Because the vine is meant to bear fruit. As we'll see in a moment, the, the vine is meant to bear fruit. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's pointing them to the Old Testament and saying, hey, the nation of Israel, God's people were meant to be the vine that bears fruit. This is something that's always been there. How the, and, and here's how the nation of Israel bears fruit. It's as God's people worship him, they begin to reflect him in the world. And then people get to see who God is so that they too may worship. And as that happens, God is glorified throughout the world. That's how the nation of Israel was to bear fruit. But as we read the Old Testament, we realize that they failed time and time again. Adam and Eve failed in worshiping God fully so that they might reflect him to the world, so that the world might worship God and that God might be glorified. They failed in doing that. And as we look through the Old Testament, story after story, they just, there was this, this failure to bear fruit. This failure to worship God fully so that he might be glorified. That has always been part of the plan. For God's people to be the vine and to bear fruit all over the world. We see this in Isaiah chapter 5. Particularly in verse 7 where it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. This is God's people. And the men of Judah are the gardens of his delight. This is how God sees his people as a vineyard bearing fruit. But we have failed in this. And so when Jesus says, 
I am the true vine. He's saying, where you have failed, I have succeeded. Where you have failed, I have succeeded. But the story doesn't end there. We saw this last week. If it did, how incredibly depressing would this be? It doesn't end there. What what Jesus does, he says, because I have succeeded, I'm accrediting that to you so that through me, you might bear much fruit. And so I am the true vine. I am the very righteousness of God. I am perfect. And even though we have failed, that has been accredited to us. His righteousness, his perfection has been accredited to us so that we might stand before God blameless, spotless, That statement has incredible implications for us. Incredible implications for us. That in Christ, God sees us as fruitful. But Jesus goes on to say, And my Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser. Some other translations may use the word gardener. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that God is the caretaker of everything. That all that we're about to speak on, he is the caretaker of everything. That he is sovereign over everything. That he is in control. That he is not pacing back and forward wondering what on earth is happening with the world. No, God is in control. He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. He's sovereign. Jesus found it necessary to make sure that his disciples understood that before he goes on. It's incredibly necessary for us to know that before we go on. That Jesus is the true vine. He is what we could never be. And that God, his father, is the vine dresser, the gardener, that he is sovereign and he is fully in control. Regardless of whatever you're going through, he is fully in control. Then Jesus begins to talk about some branches. He now turns to us and he starts to talk about us. He says, each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now let's talk about some branches here. Jesus says there's two branches. There's one that doesn't bear fruit and there's one that does. The one that doesn't bear fruit, the gardener takes it away. And the one that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. Let me say this right out the gates. What Jesus is saying here, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. That in it, there's there's going to be some people who don't bear fruit and some who do. Let's talk a little bit about this fruit. If we're to understand what all of this means, we need to understand what he means when he talks about this fruit. And so what is it, Jesus, what is, what is this fruit that you talk about? Paul unpacks this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit, notice it says fruit and not fruits. When I saw it 
this past week, it, it hit me. Uh, for, for so long, I've always kind of read it and assumed that it was the fruits, much like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, when, when Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's multiple gifts, and that it's assigned, God assigns those to each and every one of us differently. That we don't get all of them. But here when he talks about the fruit, it's one fruit, and that we get all of them, that it's broken into multiples. He talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we don't get to pick one over the other. And I've run into this quite a few times where people go, you know what, my fruit is actually, it's love, and so I don't need to be concerned too much about joy. Because he didn't give me that one. Oh, no, 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 mine's kindness, man. I'm really, I'm killing it on kindness. Ah, oh, but faithfulness is not mine. It's for someone else. No, there's one fruit. One fruit. Broken up into many, but it's one fruit. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've crossed the line of faith, you are given this fruit. Because it comes with the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus is talking about these two branches, and he says there's one that doesn't bear fruit, what he's saying is that if you don't bear fruit, you are not a Christian. If you don't bear fruit, you are not a Christian. Now, hold on. It's not in perfection. That's not what's being said here. It's not that you must love perfectly. Only then are you a Christian. That there must be joy perfectly. Only then are you a Christian. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. But there must be evidence of fruit. There has to be evidence of fruit. Otherwise, you're not a Christian. You haven't crossed the line of faith. You haven't given your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That that hasn't happened. And I know that many of you are sitting here and going, yeah, 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 I can, I can definitely connect to that. Because you may have grown up in a Christian home. You may have gone to church every Sunday. You might have even been in a Bible study. Regular attendance to a Bible study. But we all know, as important as those things are, they don't save you. They don't bring you into a relationship with Jesus. It's only when you turn away from this idea that I am the master of my own life, and you turn to Jesus and to say to him, listen, I desperately need you. Only then are you saved. And Jesus says, for those who are saved, there is fruit. That is the evidence of salvation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For those who are in Christ, he says that he prunes. He prunes. Now, now here's the thing. Pruning is not fun. If I was a branch and I was being pruned, I'm pretty sure it would hurt if I had feelings as a branch. It's not fun. It never is. Trust me, pruning is not fun. It hurts because there's cutting involved. And so Jesus says that, listen, if, if, if there's evidence of salvation, if the fruit is there, if you want me to take you from where you are to where you need to be, I'm going to have to do some pruning. I'm going to have to do some pruning, some cutting. 
Why? So that I might bear more fruit. And that's something that I'm pretty sure anyone who is in Christ wants to do. Nobody here sits here and goes, you know what, I actually don't want to be more loving. You know? I don't want more peace. I don't want more kindness. I'm okay. I think I'm a rat. No. For those who are in Christ, you, you sit here and you go, gosh, I wish I was more patient. I wish I had peace in my life so that I might be a peacemaker. I wish there was more goodness in me. I wish I was more faithful. If, that, if you want that to happen, God needs to prune you. He needs to prune you. And here's the thing, it hurts. It hurts. I wish it didn't. Uh, for me, I'm saying this for myself, I wish it didn't. But it hurts. God will put you in a situation and you won't like that situation. Sometimes you'll sit and you'll wonder, have I done something wrong? Am I in sin? What on earth is going on? Because this hurts. Take courage, Christian. God is pruning you. But you've got to evaluate that situation because sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll do something and then we'll wonder, is God pruning me? Is God pruning me? Well, you've got to ask the question, what have I done? What have I done? Um, when you isolate yourself from community, all right, you're no longer uh, being a part of the community because remember, God has beautifully and uniquely designed us for community. So when you decide, you know what, I'm going to go and do my own thing, and then while you're there by yourself going, man, it's really lonely, this really sucks, and then go, but maybe God is pruning me. No, he's not. He's not pruning you. And I'll say it this way. For those of you who were not that close, um, we're still getting to know each other. When you isolate yourself from community and things go really, really bad for you, it's because you've made a bad decision. That was unwise. That's what the Bible calls foolish. Now, for those who um, we are close and, you know, we trust one another and I can say things and you can say things to me. When you isolate yourself from, from community, God is not pruning you when things get tough. You've just made a dumb decision. That's a really dumb decision. God has uniquely designed us for community and then you choose to go do your own thing. That's called sin. When you choose to do your own thing, it's called sin. Don't be there and then wonder, is God pruning me? No, but pruning, pruning is different. Pruning happens when, when you're seeking the Lord, when you're trying to be faithful. Those who are married in the house will know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, I believe God's called me to get married. I love this individual. This individual loves me. This is part of being faithful. And then you, after two, three years of honeymoon, I'm in my sixth year of marriage. God is pruning me. Because all of a sudden, I'm now in environments where I'm like, this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to love. I don't want to be kind. I don't want to be good. But God is saying, I've put you in this environment to expose your selfishness. To, to show you that you still need me. That you are uh, still at, uh, at, at work. That I'm working in and through you. And how that happens is... By pruning. By pruning. I mentioned marriage. Marriage 
It's one of those environments. For some of you, it may not be. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Five, six years of marriage and it's still honeymoon. It is great. Praise the Lord. But you know there's an environment in your life where you're going, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, I'm seeking you, but, but why is it hurting? It's because he's pruning you. He wants you to bear more fruit. He wants to expand your sphere of influence. But in order to do that, he needs to prune you. The greatest pruning that I've ever gone through is actually happening right now. It's in the planting of this very church. It's exposing so much of my, my, my own failures. You know, I grew up thinking, man, I, I'm a really patient person. And as we've started this church plant, I've realized, wow, I am incredibly impatient. Incredibly impatient. And watch this. When I'm impatient, then I'm no longer loving. And then when I'm no longer loving, then I'm no longer good. And when there's no goodness, then I don't want to be kind. And then joy goes out the window. Do you see how these are connected? They were never meant to live in isolation. They're not fruits. It's not a spiritual buffet. It's one fruit. One fruit broken into different pieces. And God is saying to you, if you're going through a tough time, take heart, Christian. Be encouraged. God is pruning you so that he can take you from where you are to where you need to be. You look throughout the scriptures, you pick any hero, any hero, and you'll see God needed to prune. He needed to prune. David needed to be pruned. On the run from King Saul, wondering, like, what is going on? God, I'm, I want to be faithful to you, but now this king wants to kill me. What on earth is going on? I'm pruning you. Because I need you to be ready to lead my people. I'm pruning you. God needs to prune us. And it is incredibly uncomfortable. Incredibly uncomfortable. But take heart. It's because he wants to take you from where you are to where you need to be. Jonathan Edwards writes this in his book, Religious Affections. True virtue never looks so lovely as when it is most oppressed. And the divine excellence of real Christianity is never demonstrated as clearly as when it faces trials. I love that. And to prove that, I'll just take you to Jesus. Faced with trials, he chose to love. He, he would say these things to his disciples. Turn the other cheek, love your enemies. It's like, those are really cool things, Jesus. I know many of us, we read that and we're like, yeah, that's great. That's a great way to live. Man, if the world lived like that, it would be such a, a great place. But then when you're faced with it, it's in that moment where you go, you know what? I'm being pruned here. I'm being pruned here. 
I'm being pruned here so that, so that when, when, I'm, when I truly face a trial, I'll be able to live out of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That I can show love. That I can be a peacemaker. That I can be faithful. Even when people aren't being faithful to me, I can be faithful. It makes us look at trials completely different in our lives. James writes this in chapter 1, 2 to 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I read this and I'm like, this is crazy. Count it, count it full, like joy. When, I, when trials come my way, how on earth am I supposed to do that? It's because I've got to anchor myself in the words of John chapter 15, that he is pruning me. He is pruning me because he wants to take me from where I am to where I need to be. Notice he doesn't say, count it all happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Massive difference. See, happiness is, is external factors. Whatever happens externally controls my happiness. Joy is from within. Joy says, you know what, regardless of what's happening around me, I can still find joy. Because my eyes are fixed on something greater than what's currently happening right now. Sometimes we can be really harsh on ourselves. Especially when we face these trials, we, we are almost we're shook up because we're wondering, like, am I really a Christian? What on earth is going on? I'm trying to be faithful, but this is happening. There's this particular struggle in my life. What is, like, we get so harsh. And we forget the, the beautiful words that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all, with, unveiled, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, hear these words, from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. That we are, we are slowly becoming like Christ from one degree to another. Some of us think we come to faith. Yes, you're now made perfect, and we'll see that in a moment. You're now made perfect because of what Christ has done, but he still needs to work in you. He still needs to work in you that you're being transformed from one degree to another. It's a slow change. For, for many in the room, a very, very slow change. But the change is happening. Be encouraged. And for those of you who've maybe been in the faith for a while, you can be harsh on other people. Shame on us. Shame on us to, to not see that God is working through this person from one degree to another. As he prunes. As he prunes. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now, when I first read it, I found it incredibly confusing. I was like, this is kind of weird. It's a weird place to have this. We're talking about pruning, but now you want to talk about being clean. What does this mean? 
See, Jesus, he, he knew that the disciples would be harsh on themselves. And so he, he has to remind them, listen, you are clean. You are saved. Once you've crossed the line of faith, it's done. Nothing can remove you from my hand. He uses the same word clean when he spoke to the disciples when he was washing their feet. It's the same moment. They're having supper together. Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. I love Peter. He stands up. This is John chapter 13. He stands up and he's like, Jesus, whoa, what are you doing? Whoa, what are you doing? You will never wash my feet. Then Jesus says, if I can't wash your feet, then you can have no part of me and I can have no part of you. So Peter's like, oh, okay. Then wash my whole body. Give me a bath. And then Jesus uses that same word that he uses here. He says, no, you don't need to be bathed because you are already clean. It's just your feet that need to be washed. And so this word clean, we're to understand it as salvation, that once you're saved, you're saved. It's a done deal. It's finished. But we still need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart, growing from one degree to another. Jesus found it necessary to tell his disciples that because he knew they would be harsh on themselves. They are moments away from betraying Jesus. You should read it. They are moments away from betraying Jesus. Peter, who said he would never deny Jesus, is moments away from saying to the crowd three times, I don't know this man. Jesus knew he had to tell his disciples to encourage them. that Listen, once you're clean, you're clean. But there's still some work that needs to be done. You're going to fall a couple times. But it's okay, because I'm pruning you. I'm pruning you. After reminding them of this beautiful truth, Jesus then moves from verse 4 to 11 in what many theologians call uh, union with Christ. Union with Christ. He, he talks about abiding. He uses uh, this word abide nine times from verse 4 to 11. Nine times he talks about abiding. Eight in the positive and one in the negative. It's what we have come to understand as union with Christ. It's one of the mysteries of the gospel, this idea that those who have crossed the line of faith, those who have given their lives to Jesus, are now one with Christ. That he is in me and I and am in him. That my personal standing is with Jesus Christ. My identity is found in Christ. It's this union in Christ. Abiding, notice verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch that cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That you cannot bear fruit on your own. Now I know you're sitting and you're going, but there's a lot of people that that are kind and are peaceful and they look faithful, but, but if they're not abiding in Christ, it's not genuine fruit. It will not last. It's like those plastic fruits that you find on the tables. You know when you go visit your aunt and granny and you're, they always got those plastic fruits. And I've seen some pretty impressive ones where I look and I'm like, that looks like a, like a real fruit. But if you try biting into that, you will quickly realize it's not genuine. It's not the real deal. And so Jesus says that on your own, on your own, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot bear genuine, lasting fruit. You have to abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We get to ask for whatever. But remember the context here. Jesus is talking about fruit. You can ask for fruit and it will be given to you. You can, you can, by abiding, you can say, Jesus, I, I want to be more loving and it will be given to you. I want to be good, it will be given to you. I want to be more faithful, it will be given to you because you are abiding in him. You are united with Christ. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. You see, when you bear much fruit, when you bear much fruit, it glorifies the Father. The very intention was that the, the people of God would worship him and reflect him, and as they do that, glorify him. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This idea of union with Christ, this word abide, means to dwell. It simply means to dwell, that we are called to dwell in Christ. To be so comfortable in him that it feels like home. But here's the thing, I don't think we struggle with the word abide. I don't think that's a struggle for us. Because all of us are abiding in something. We are, we're all abiding, we're all dwelling in something. That's easy for us. The true question is, what are you abiding in? Is it success? Is it relationships? Is it the approval of other people? What is that thing that you are abiding in, that you are dwelling in, that you, you feel like this is, this is home for me? Because here, here, if it's not Christ, it'll never satisfy you. You'll just move from that to something else. We spoke about the trains last week. It's, it's like getting on one train and realizing, I don't want to be going this way, and then getting off and getting on another train. It's still the wrong train, but you get on anyways hoping that it'll get you to your destination. And then halfway, you're like, hmm, this isn't for me. And because we are middle-class South Africans, we have options. We have options. If it's not education, then it's, well, maybe it'll be what I do at home. If it's not that, then if, if it's not living in the city of Pretoria, then it's like, well, then I'll just move to Cape Town. I'll abide in that but it will never give you the joy that Jesus promises when he says, abide in me. It will never give you the satisfaction that Jesus says that you will find when you abide in me. I love this illustration, and if you're a regular here, you'll be like, this, is, this, is, this isn't new to you. It's like you're, have you ever felt like this? Like this is your life. You, just, you feel like you're just hitting the ceiling of whatever it is you're pursuing whether it's success, whether it's sex, whether it's relationships, whether it's education. It's just, man, it's, just, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's because you're abiding in the wrong thing. And so Jesus invites you. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. 
Because when you read the Gospels, when you read the story of Jesus, particularly at the end of his life, he's going through trial after trial after trial after trial. But because he and the Father are one, he's able to get through it. And so I know for many of us, we, it feels like we're going through trial after trial after trial. Jesus is saying, abide in me. We'll get through it if you abide in me. Don't go pick something else. It will not give you what you desire. Abide in me. And so how do we abide? How do we do that? How do we abide? One pastor says it this way. It's, it's always making sure that our affections, our, our affections are, are pointed towards Christ. That's how we abide. And there's three. I'm going to give you three ways that we can abide in Christ, that we can make sure that our affections are pointed towards Christ. Three things that I believe are important and necessary for any Christian. If you truly want to abide in Him, we do that by reading His Word. By reading His Word, by simply coming to the Word of God and opening it up. God reveals Himself to us through His Word. So we need to read it. The second way is to pray. Now I know for many of us, when we hear pray, it's like, oh, I get to ask God for stuff. We do. God invites us. Jesus invites us. He says, pray and ask. Ask the Father for stuff. But, but here's the, the beautiful thing about prayer. Prayer reveals something. It reveals that I'm not in control. Right? Sadly, most of us pray when things aren't going great, when we're not in control. But then I'm praying to the one who is in control. So it reveals that I'm not in control, but he is. And my hope is that as you pray, that, that, that you would create a relationship, just like you create a relationship with someone here, by talking to them, by engaging with them. We're to pray to the Father. So we're to be in the Word, we're to pray, but here's the last one. We're to be in community. We're to be in community. You cannot do this on your own. Think of a vine, a grapevine, if you will. Many branches connected to the vine. We are created for community. And so to live in isolation, to live in isolation is the worst thing that you can do for yourself. But rather when we're in community, we're encouraging one another. We're rebuking one another. We're telling one another, listen, you're going the wrong way. You're making a bad mistake. Come to Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our affections are to be pointed to Jesus if we truly want to abide in him. I'll close with verse 11, not only closing this morning, but closing our entire I Am series. Jesus says these words to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Everything that I've said to you as we've walked through the different I am's. He says these things to us. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants you to have joy. He wants you to live out of who you were created to be. He wants you to have full joy. And that's only found in him. That's why he gives us the scriptures. That's why he puts us in community. That's why he creates this relationship where we're able to pray to him so that our joy may be full. See, many of us, we come in here and our joy is lacking. 
Our joy is lacking. It's because we're not abiding in Him. We're not coming to Him and trusting Him and seeing Him for who He is and saying, you know what, I, I want to be in you. I want to trust in you. I want to walk with you. I want that intimacy, that, that intimacy, that into me see. I want you to see me so that I can see you. Abide in 